The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, one man ran up to him and knelt in front of him. He asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except one, God. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, Teacher, I have kept all these since I was a child. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Go, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he looked sad and went away grieving because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus told them again, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in their riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For people, it is impossible, but not for God, because all things are possible for God. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, he sure is trying really hard, isn't he? Well, this rich man, he's not like some people who can't really be bothered to think about anything having to do with God, anything having to do with the divine. He's not like people who want to think that when they die, that's it, and there's nothing coming later. Uh, This man understands that he is going to face God one day, he is going to be judged, and when that happens, he wants to wind up in the right place for eternity. He cares about this. And he even cares about this enough to seek out a teacher, kneel in front of him, and ask him about it. You know, so often when people approach Jesus and ask him a question, their motive is evil. They're trying to trap Jesus. They are trying to trip him up. Other times when people ask Jesus a question, it reveals they maybe haven't been listening to him very carefully in the past. But this man is not trying to trap Jesus. As far as we know, this is the first time he has ever spoken to Jesus. And his question reveals that he at least understands one very important thing, that the purpose of this life is to prepare for the next. So this is a genuine man with an honest question, and his question is even honed in on the most important matter there is, how to dwell with God forever. The problem comes in how he frames his question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This rich man kneels in front of Jesus, and when he looks up at Jesus, he does not see the Son of God or his Savior. Instead, the rich man is looking to himself to save himself and This is the opinion that human human beings are born with. I save myself. 
This is the notion that every other religion in the world caters to. You save yourself. And by the way, here's our list of rules on how to do it. And did you know that technically it is possible for you to save yourself? Technically, it is possible for you to inherit eternal life on your own. All you have to do to inherit eternal life on your own is be absolutely perfect all the time. That's it. Never slip up once. Technically possible. Then you won't need any saving because you'll already be perfect. Problem is that's technically possible, but it's not practically possible for you and me because we inherit sin from our parents from the moment we come to life. The last human beings for whom it was practically possible to be perfect were Adam and Eve, and they blew it for themselves, and they blew it for us. So the option of being perfect on our own is gone for us. And yet, there are a lot of people who think, just like this rich man, that somehow a holy God would not require his creatures to be holy. And somehow a perfect God would allow some level of imperfection into his eternal dwelling. You don't really have to be perfect to make it on your own. You just have to be real, real good. And that's the notion that Jesus now crushes. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Notice now, in his response, the man does not exactly claim perfection, does he? He just says that in a general sort of way, he's done these things. In other words... He's been real good, and that should be good enough. The man replied, Teacher, I have kept all these since I was a child. But now, did you notice one commandment that Jesus left off of that list? He listed five commandments, and one of them he sort of listed twice. He said, Do not steal, and he said, Do not defraud. And I have a hunch Jesus said that because he knew something about how this rich man got rich. Not sure, just a notion. But regardless, there's one commandment that Jesus left off the list. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods. That is commandment number one, and as is usually the case, number one is number one for a reason. It's the most important commandment of all. So Jesus is pumping the brakes throwing it into reverse. Before we talk about keeping all of God's commandments and how well you have to keep all of them, let's focus on the most important one. One thing you lack, go sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now please, do not answer this out loud. But if, and by the way, he doesn't, but if the Son of God looked you in the eye and said, Go, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Would you do it? Would you do it without a second thought, gladly and willingly? If you wouldn't do it, and you wouldn't do it with the perfect attitude, and remember, that's what God requires, perfection, then you're in the same boat as the rich man. But please... Please, don't look sad, and don't go away grieving. Instead, ask yourself, why does Jesus treat a genuine man with an honest question so harshly? Why does Jesus prove that this man loves his stuff 
more than he loves the Lord? Why does Jesus publicly expose his failure to keep the first and most important commandment? Mark tells us that in the middle of their conversation, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus exposes sin and convicts sinners because he loves us. And if only that rich man had stayed to hear the rest of what Jesus had to say. If only he hadn't tuned out. So please, don't tune out now. Hang around and listen to the rest of what Jesus has to say. It's, it's a very sad thing that the rich man walks away grieving. But it's a really good thing that the disciples stay to hear what more Jesus says. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. To prepare for this sermon, I read several commentaries that pointed out that in the walls around Jerusalem, there were a bunch of gates. And one of these gates in the walls of Jerusalem was nicknamed Eye of the Needle. And that it might have been possible with a lot of shifting and maneuvering and shoving and pushing, it just might have been possible to fit like a medium-sized camel through this gate, <laughs> nicknamed the eye of the needle. And therefore, these commentators conclude what Jesus is really saying here is it's not impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. You just got to do a lot of shoving and maneuvering and shifting. It's very hard, but it can be done. Then why does Jesus say at the end, for people it is impossible to enter the kingdom. See, we're still thinking like the rich man, right? I can get in there if I just do it right, put enough effort into it. We got to forget that line of thinking. We're as guilty of breaking the first commandment as the rich man, and there are still times when we allow our possessions to become more important to us than our Lord. And what Jesus says is true People with a lot of wealth are more susceptible to this, but Christians on every side of the wealth spectrum can fall into this trap because no matter how much money you have or you don't have, we all have the same spiritual enemies. We all live in an unbelieving world that is just thoroughly materialistic and lives by the slogan, whoever dies with the most stuff wins. We all have the devil as our enemy. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he offered the Son of God the wealth of this world to walk away from the Heavenly Father and bow down to him. Now, if Satan thought that would work on the holy, eternal Son of God, then don't think he isn't trying it on us. And we all have a sinful nature that wants to exalt our money and our possessions over the Lord until finally God is out of our heart completely. It is true that rich people fall into this trap the most easily, but people with all different levels of wealth fall into it. And by the way, I don't want to turn this into an economics lecture, but you don't have to make a lot of money in this country to be in the top 5% or 1% globally. I think a lot of us are rich and we're just unaware of it or we are in denial. Now, materialism is a sin in the heart, and therefore it's pretty hard to prove. Just because you have a lot of stuff doesn't mean you're materialistic. It may just mean that God has chosen to
to bless you with a lot of stuff. And by the way, just because a person doesn't have much stuff definitely doesn't mean they're not materialistic. It's a sin of the heart. It's hard to prove, but the symptoms can be pretty easy to see. Uh, when a Christian is thinking of divine things, things that have to do with God, in terms of minimums, right? How much do I have to worship? How much do I have to pray? How much do I, I have to give for spreading the gospel? And they're thinking of their stuff in terms of maximums, right? I want the most house my money can buy, maybe even a little bit more than my money can buy. I want the best car for me, maybe even a little bit more than I can afford. It's showing itself when we're thinking that way. Now, when Jesus states the impossibility of a rich person entering the kingdom of heaven, the disciples are first amazed, and then when Jesus repeats it, they are even more astonished. Why? Don't people naturally view wealth as a sign of approval from God? Well, Scripture calls wealth a blessing. And there's a big difference between a blessing and a sign of approval. It is a blessing. It also identifies wealth as a spiritual danger that can lead us to put our stuff ahead of God in our hearts. And since we've all been there, the only question is the one the disciples ask, which is an excellent question. Who then can be saved? Now the rich man, he slumped away before he could hear Jesus answer, and we can thank God the Holy Spirit that he has kept us by Jesus' side long enough to hear him say, for, peop for people it is impossible but not for God because all things are possible for God. At the beginning of their conversation, the rich man called Jesus good teacher. And of course, Jesus is a good teacher. But he's a whole lot more than that. Jesus is the Son of God who opens up the kingdom of heaven to all believers, rich, poor, or otherwise. Jesus is the Savior who walked on this earth and lived a perfect life in our place where his heavenly Father and the Father's will was always first and always biggest in Jesus' heart. Jesus gave up all the wealth of creation to come down into this world and join us here and you know, it's not even like he came down to get pampered off in a palace somewhere. He was poor. He lived homeless for the most part, but he never got caught up in what he did or what he didn't have. He lived with the Father and his will first. Even when the will of his heavenly Father took him to the cross on Good Friday, where Jesus gave the only thing he had to give, his holy life for you and me. You know, in the upper room the night before Jesus died, he was delivering his last will and testament to his disciples. That's what he was doing there. The only thing he had to give them was the body and blood that he was going to sacrifice the next day. See, Jesus didn't value anything, even his own life. He did not value it over the Father and the Father's will. That was always the first for Jesus. And it was all so he could say about our salvation for people, it is impossible, but not for God, because all things are possible for God. What we could never do because of our materialism and all of our other sins, Jesus Christ has accomplished. His life, his death, 
wipes all of those sins off our record. And the Holy Spirit is also working for us to achieve our salvation because we are living in a world that screams at us, stuff, stuff, get more stuff all the time. But through all that noise, the Holy Spirit is gently whispering to us, Jesus loves you. Put God first in your life. And Satan can hit us with as many temptations as he wants to, to try to drag us away from Jesus and get us to chase the wealth of the world. The Holy Spirit is still there with Jesus' love, working to keep us following Jesus all the way to the end. And he's working to stifle that sinful nature inside of us. You know, considering the size and the determination of these spiritual enemies that want to destroy our faith, there is no way that any of us under our own power would be able to follow Jesus all the way to the end of our lives and into his kingdom. But the Spirit is working for us. Through water and word and bread and wine, he is working to keep us following Jesus all the way into the kingdom that he has opened up to us. And this great love that God has shown and is still showing us, it makes all things possible for the way we live our lives, our attitudes, our priorities, that our Lord comes first. Maximums for him, for the one who has achieved our salvation. Amen.